All right, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1. All right, once you find your place there, I'm going to draw your attention to verse 3, and we'll read down through verse 8 for our text here this afternoon. Beginning in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Looking at this passage this afternoon, uh, because it, well, not because, but what the passage really does is highlight for us the, the love that the Apostle Paul had for the church in Philippi. And I, I don't think you can read uh, really any of Paul's letters, even the ch- to the churches of Galatia. He starts out that letter very stern, very strong, but eventually he gets to demonstrating his heart for them uh, as, as churches. And, and all of the epistles that Paul wrote, it's really impossible to read them and miss Paul's great love for the churches. And in fact, pretty much all of them, you see that Paul confirms over and over and over again his love for the churches that he had planted and started. There's something maybe, I don't even know if it's more special or not, but it, it really does show and appear that Paul had this really special bond with the church in Philippi. And Paul always sought to encourage them in their faith, to help them to grow. And he demonstrates several times his awareness of the impact that these people had on his own life, not just what the impact he had on their lives, but the impact that they had on his life and in his ministry and their partnership that they shared with him in the gospel. And Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. He's not with them. Verse 8 indicates that he longs greatly to, to be with them, to see them. And, and so there's obviously, it's a letter that's written to them, so he's not with them personally at the time, and in fact, he's in a Roman prison actually writing this, but what you see is still a loving pastor speaking to the congregation that he longed to serve, those that he loved so much. And the passage that we're considering today paints for us a portrait of a healthy church and relationships in the church, a prosperous congregation of believers And that's something that we should desire as well, to develop and maintain the same kinds of attitudes and affections and and, uh, that that these people had one with another. You know, when we talk about our service to the Lord, our service to the Lord, it requires 
individuals to serve. But as a congregation, uh, we will never accomplish the task that the Lord's given us to do unless we come together in faith and in unity and in love. We need that. And it's something that we should desire. And so as we discuss the, the sentiments that Paul shares here in this text, I want us to consider this thought, partners in the faith, partners in the faith. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this passage and Lord, that you teach us from it, remind us of how blessed we are uh, to be born again, to be placed in a local New Testament church by the will of God, to understand that it's pleasing to the Lord, to appreciate and love you more because of what you've afforded for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us today with this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to point out here is Paul's grateful attitude, a grateful attitude. And this is also something that we should have as believers, as members of a New Testament church, a grateful attitude. And notice what he says here. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul expresses a grateful attitude for the church in Philippi, and he's almost overwhelmed even by it at times. And the point that I'm going to draw out here is that we ought to possess the same kind of gratitude for our church and for the fellowship in the gospel. Notice Paul's remembrance in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It's evident that the church in Philippi was continually on the mind of the Apostle Paul. And as he thought about the church, he was compelled to thank the Lord for them. As he thought about these brethren, his love, his devotion prompted him to say thank you to God for these people. And the application is very simple. And, and, and I don't think the application is different for you than it is for me. My role is different than yours in the church. Um, I serve the church on a full-time role. You're my responsibility for watching for your souls as far as that is concerned. But nonetheless, and, it, and sometimes that's a, that's a heavy burden to bear. Not because you're just, you know, hard people. It's just life, and it's... And it's and it's uh, my, just my role is different than yours. And sometimes it's, it's a heavy burden. Nonetheless, I'm very thankful for each of you and for the opportunity that I have to serve the Lord with you. And, and the thought is that we ought to be mindful of the church that God has placed us in. You as a, as a member, you as a believer ought to be thankful for the people that make up this body. And we'll get to this in just a little bit, uh, a little more in depth. But 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18 says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. That is a powerful verse. And it's actually a verse that, that when the reality of that sunk into me a long time ago, 
it helps me understand and appreciate the value of the Lord's body, the local New Testament church. It's not up to you, and it's not up to me, who actually is a member in the church. It's up to the Lord. The Lord has placed the members in the body, every one of them, as it hath pleased Him. In other words, it's pleasing to God that each of you are part of this body. You want to please the Lord? We say we do as Christians, right? It's pleasing to God that each one is a member in this body. He's the one who's chosen. He's placed them as it hath pleased him. Now listen to me and listen to me carefully. That is not something that we should walk away from easily. Follow me. It's of the will of God. Not your choosing, not mine. Like we, we choose where we're going to go and so on, but the Lord leads our steps and it's the administration of the Holy Spirit of God that puts the members in His body as it hath pleased Him. We can't just ignore that and be something that we walk away from easily or lightly. Oh, I'm going to decide I, I want to go somewhere else. You better be sure that it's the Lord that is taking you and moving you. You better be sure that it's the Lord God who is picking you up and then placing you in another body as it hath pleased him. Does that make sense? Because it's the Lord's doing. And we the truth of the matter is when we stop and think about this, we are all blessed to be part of such a wonderful group of believers. It pleases the Lord. And Paul said, when I think about you, I'm compelled to thank the Lord for you. Notice his request in verse 4. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Each time Paul prayed, he sought the Lord for the church in Philippi. He was thankful for them and desired the blessing of the Lord upon them. And he says, always, in every prayer, they were continually being lifted up by Paul. And I don't want us to overlook this important aspect of Paul's prayer for them. Notice that he says at the end of the verse, he says, making requests with joy. That's a really important part that we don't want to overlook. He says he did it with joy. It wasn't a burden to pray for them. He loved them. He found great joy in interceding for them. And the application I would make is this. Honestly, this makes me pause a little bit. Because when I read this and I look at the heart of the Apostle Paul, I can't honestly say that, that I pray for the church every single day. Not like this. I should do better. I need to do better. And prayer, prayer is the most powerful tool that we have, but it's often the least used. And as members of this local body, friends, we are obligated to continually pray for one another, for the blessing of God, for the work of God in our life, for this body, for this church. We ought to speak to the Lord on behalf of our congregation with a genuine concern for this 
local body of which we are a part by the will of God. Paul said he did it with joy. We are privileged. We are privileged to have such an opportunity. And friends, think about this. What if we all held this church very dear in our heart? And we all saw it for the blessing that it really is. And then together we worked to cultivate that kind of atmosphere of love and appreciation one for another in the will of God and that each is here by the will of God and each is important and, and I'm obligated to encourage and to, to edify and to pray and we all worked with the same heart to cultivate that kind of an atmosphere. What if we did that? What kind of relationships would we have and what kind of responses would we have to each other? And I'm simply saying we ought to make the most of the opportunities that God's given to us because what we have is a blessing of the Lord. Paul was thankful for them. He prayed for them. Notice he was, what he was thankful for in verse 5. He says in verse 4, In every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. And here it is, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He was thankful for their fellowship in the gospel. That word fellowship, it speaks of them being fellow participants. He's saying, I'm thankful for your participation in the gospel. I've heard it said this way before that, Fellowship can be described as two fellows in the same ship working together to move the boat in the same direction. Kind of an interesting thought. Common bond, common goal, same place. Paul says these people were fellow laborers in the gospel of Christ. They shared a common salvation. They had a common desire for the advancement of the gospel and Paul was thankful for them with whom he shared that relationship and that commonality and that burden for the lost. Now, healthy churches require healthy relationships. Part of those healthy relationships are going to be formed around actively participating in the work of the ministry. Sometimes that means prayer. Praying together. Uh, it was something that really struck home with me recently. Uh, the idea of praying together. I saw something else on social media. It was another podcast. But the man, the, it was a Christian podcast. And it was talking about marriage in America. And even amongst Christian people how the divorce rate in America is now like up to close to 60%, even among Christian people, quote Christian, you're talking about this broad umbrella here, of course, right? But then he made this statement, and it was some sort of a poll and some sort of a test that was done. The divorce rate amongst Christian couples who pray together every day drops to less than 1%. So you've got this umbrella of Christianity and the divorce rate is almost 
But couples who pray together every day, it's less than one. That's an amazing statistic. Part of the work of the ministry is that. And you know, the, uh, when, when it comes to relationships one with another, sometimes there can be straining things in relationships. But, but this is a true statement and maybe one that we should practice more often. It's a lot harder to be mad at somebody if you regularly pray with them. You kneel down side by side with somebody. We're going to pray together. There's some things that are going to have to get worked out. You know, you're forced to. And then all of a sudden, relationships are improved and things are made better. And I'm wondering if, if maybe that's something that we should do more often. Healthy churches require healthy relationships. And again, part of those healthy relationships are going to be formed around actively participating in the work of the ministry. Did you know that that is what you covenanted together to do when you joined this church? Let me read it for you. I pulled this out. I've gone through this several times, and I was reminded of something. Our church covenant, covenant, we're agreeing, amen, to live a certain way. When you joined this church, you covenanted together with everybody else to live your life a certain way. And part of the covenant that we have made with each other is that we're going to be actively involved in the work of the ministry together. It says, having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this New Testament Baptist church in knowledge, in holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. That is what we've covenanted together to do, to support the church, to walk together in Christian love, to give to it cheerfully, to work together in the spread of the gospel to all nations. Paul said... I am so thankful for you, the church in Philippi, for your fellowship and your participation in the gospel. He was thankful for them, for the unity they had, for the times that he would remember them. He was compelled of God to give thanks for them. And I'm, I'm simply saying we ought to be equally thankful one of another for the church that the Lord has placed us in. I'm thankful for you. And we can't ever get away from that. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of something in my head 
in my mind when, when I, when I stu- read these kinds of things. And, you know, it's so easy to get away from the main thing. And especially even as a pastor in dealing with the, the, the trials of life and the labors of ministry to get away from the fact that it's about the sheep. It's about the saints. It's about edifying and building and growing the church of God. And it's easy for a pastor to get away from that. It's easy for church members to get away from that. That's not just the pastor's job. Ephesians 4 in verse 3 says that we ought to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's for all of us. That word endeavoring, it means to make effort and it means to labor. We're going to work at it and we're going to make effort when we realize how precious and valuable it is and we are thankful for it. We're willingly going to make that effort and make that labor. Amen? Paul said, I'm thankful for you. He demonstrated a grateful attitude, not just for who they were, but for their participation in the gospel. And part of, part of, of growing together in the Lord is the work of the ministry and, and, and the things that we've covenanted together to do. And if we realize how special and precious and valuable it is, we're going to be thankful for it. And it's not something that we're going to treat haphazardly or lightly. Amen? Now look at verse 6. Not only do we see a grateful attitude, but we see a confident conclusion. A confident conclusion. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul was not able to be with the church. He was in a Roman prison. And yet, he says, I'm confident. I'm confident in this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident that they would endure in Jesus Christ, even though he wasn't there. Now notice the source of his confidence. Being confident of this very thing, that he, he, there is the source of Paul's confidence, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was writing to the church from prison. They continued to face adversity and persecution for their faith where they were. But there was no reason to fear or doubt in the mind of Paul. He was confident, not in himself and not of men, not of their gifts, not of their abilities, but in Christ and his ability to perform the work that he began. They were not depending on programs and personalities to keep things going well in the church. But you know what? Many churches do depend on programs and personalities. A lot of times there's a charismatic figure who is the, in the leadership and he's driving the ship and driving the sheep and, and, he, and, he, and everything is moving and moving and moving and it looks like it's a, a well-oiled machine and it looks like you know things are going well and so on, but it's the personality who's doing the driving and what happens when the personality's gone? Right? 
Paul wasn't confident in himself, and he wasn't confident in men and their gifts and their abilities. He was confident in Christ and Christ's ability to perform what he began. And I would simply say this to you. Isn't it a blessing when the Lord is the one who's running the ship? You talk about the ship of your life, even. The Lord is the source of your salvation. He's the source of your life. He's your hope. He's your strength. He's your security. He's mine, too. The Lord is the one who does all that. But the Lord is also the one who said he would build his church. The Bible also says that he is to have the glory in his church. He's, the Bible also says that he is to have preeminence, not just prominence in a church. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Paul was confident, but the source of his confidence was Christ. But notice the reason for his confidence. Notice this in verse 6. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. The reason for his confidence was that Christ was the one who began the work, and Christ will also be the one who performs the work and continues the work. While they faced adversity, they did. They were severely persecuted. They were very poor. Maybe at times they even questioned things. And yet Paul was confident that the Lord was still at work. They were not serving the Lord within their own ability. They had not provided for their salvation. They were not responsible for the work in order to maintain it. That's important. Sometimes we examine the work and we examine the ministry. It's like, why isn't the Lord doing anything? We have no idea what the Lord is doing. And the fact is, the Lord is doing something. The Lord is at work. He's the one who is performing the work. They were merely vessels through which the Lord worked and revealed His power. He had begun this work in them. He would continue it. And this is so important to be reminded of. This body is the Lord's. We have responsibility to be obedient to Him, but I am not responsible to make things happen or make it grow. We're only expected to be obedient to the Lord and to His Word as He works through us. He began this work in you when He saved you. He continued that work in you when He added you to this body. And He's going to continue that work through you to edify the body. Amen? But notice the duration of his confidence. Verse 6 says, Until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day of Jesus Christ. There was no reason for them to fear that the Lord would abandon them in this work. He had begun the work. He would carry the work out to completion. Listen, did you know that the Lord's church is going to exist in this world until he comes again? He promised it would. But you know what I believe? I believe the Lord wants this body to be faithful and to exist 
until he returns. Well, when is that? I have no idea. But let me tell you something. I know this. It's not about men. I know that. Listen, I'm thankful for Brother Humphrey and for all the years of faithful service to the church. But he is not what keeps this church going. There's coming a time when he is not going to be here. There's coming a time when he's not going to be on the pastoral staff of this church. I am not what keeps this church going. This church needs to exist long after I'm gone, provided the Lord has not returned yet. How's that going to happen? How's that going to be? It will, as long as Christ is the one who's in control. Paul said, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for who you are, and I'm thankful for your participation in the ministry. But you know what? I'm not confident in you or in your abilities or mine. I'm confident in Christ and his ability to do what he said he would do, to finish the work that he started. And then I want you to notice, lastly, a fitting healing. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Here's a fitting healing. So Paul had a grateful attitude. He had a confident conclusion that Christ would finish his work, and it led to this fitting healing. You say, why do you say fitting healing? Notice the word meet in verse 7. For even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. The word means fitting or right. He says it's fitting that I would have these feelings about you. It's right that I should think these things of you, to be thankful for you, to feel this way about you. He loved them as he loved his own soul. He said, you're in my heart. You're near to my heart. He thought much of them and was in care for them. But here's what I want you to observe. Why? He had them in his heart. He says, even as it is meet or fitting for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. Observe why he had them in his heart. He says, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you are partakers of my grace. Now, Paul was in a Roman prison. So in other words, Paul is saying, you have joined with me, and I'm thankful for you, and I ha it's right that I have these feelings for you because you join with me in things. You're partakers of my grace. What was it that they had joined with him in? First of all, in suffering. He says, you're partakers of my suffering. He's in a Roman prison, right? He says that you are in my bonds. And he says you're also uh, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says you've partaken and you've you're participated and you've joined with me even in my bonds and in my suffering. Look at, verse, look at chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 14. 
as he's writing to them, he says, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, notice the word communicate there. That's not, it's not a word like, like we would use the word communicate. Like, you know, two of us are going to sit down and talk and we're going to have a conversation and we're going to communicate our thoughts and feelings to each other so we have these, these understandings. It's not used in that sense. He says, you've communicated with my affliction. The word means to share in company with. And it carries the idea of participation. Notice the word affliction. You share in company with my affliction. It means pressures and persecutions and tribulations. In other words, what he's saying is they were partakers of his affliction, either by sympathy or concern or a readiness to assist him in his own needs. They understood the afflictions and the persecutions. They shared in it, even in their own life, because they were persecuted for their faith too. They were experiencing poverty. They were experiencing persecution. And yet Paul says, you've joined in company with my own afflictions. That's a that's a pretty good um, picture of why Paul said you're in my heart. Why? Because we've walked through fire together. I look across this room. And I can point to times. When I've walked through some fire with just about every single one of you. A hard time in your life. Or you needed some encouragement. Or you needed some instruction. You needed a shoulder to cry. You needed somebody to pray with. You needed an answer for a problem. And I want to be there to walk through your fire with you share in your affliction to be company and I want to do that why? because you're in my heart what is it that brings people closer together? when they have the same experiences and they walk through the same fires together and they come out on the other side stronger together don't walk away from that. Don't do it lightly. Amen. And you better be sure it's the Lord that's the one that's moving in you. We ought to have that with each other. The willingness. And not just the willingness, but and the desire, but the, the, the commitment to set aside our own life and our own time and make that sacrifice willingly, joyfully to be a help and a blessing one to another. Amen? Come on. Paul said, you communicated, you share in company with my affliction. You're in my heart. They were partakers. Not only did they join with him in his suffering, but they joined with him in the doing. Notice verse 10. 
of chapter 4. He said, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me have flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. The word careful means it means uh, it means full of care or concern. They, like they wanted to help out the Apostle Paul more than they actually were able to. He says, you lacked opportunity, but I'm rejoicing that your care of me has flourished again. And then notice verse 15. He says, now, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Here he's talking about the ministry and the confirmation of the gospel. That's what our text said in chapter 1 in verse 7. He says, you're in my heart inasmuch both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are partakers of my grace. And then you get over here to chapter 4 and he says, you participated with me in caring for me. You participated with me in giving and receiving to support the ministry and the work. And then he says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. No church did that except for you. What's the point? Well, verse 10 shows us that they had a care for the missionary. It was flourishing. The word care, you know what it means? Look at that. But I rejoice greatly in the last that your care of me hath flourished again. That word care means mentally disposed. It means to take interest. It means to, to make oneself interested. It means to have affection for. It means to be in tune with. Paul says, your care of me has flourished again. You, you, you're interested in my life. You're interested in my ministry. Your affection for me. You're in tune with what's going on. In other words, they shared in Paul's burden. That's what the church did. And I'm thinking to myself, that's what every church ought to do, actually. We ought to share in the same burden, amen? What about the vision that the, that the pastor has for the church that, that is given of God? to share in that vision, to share in that burden. What about the burden of our missionary in Lebanon to share in that ministry, to share in the burden? Whose is that? Smash it. <laughs> Everybody get your keys out. The devil always disrupts somehow, doesn't he? Okay, we'll try to continue on now that everybody's all distracted. There it was. Who is the guilty culprit? Come on, fess it up. <laughs> you have to shut your cell phones off. You got to turn your hearing aids off, right, Doug? There was one time when Doug thought it was in his hearing aid, but it actually wasn't, and it was coming out like the speaker of his phone. Or I think it was Doug. Was it Doug? And everybody heard it. <laughs> All electronics. They're of the devil. <laughs> the point is to, to, to be mentally disposed. Like, 
really a full respecter of other things in the church. And I got my own life, and I'm building my retirement, and I got my job, and all my plans, and a lot of temporal things of life that this world demand of us. And we've got to work, amen, at being mentally disposed and in tune with the work of the ministry. That's what our calling is. What about the ministry in Lebanon? I'm so thankful that we were able to make our missions trip, amen. I'm also thankful for your interest in that. When we came home and shared with you all that we did, and just to hear the feedback from several of you, like the, the, there's a little bit of a buzz going on here and excitement about what the Lord is doing in Lebanon. You're connected on that level. That encourages me so much. Let's keep that going. Amen? They shared in Paul's burden. Verses 15 and 16 tells us they stood by him in sending support, even when no one else did. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the churches of Macedonia, and he's talking to the church in Corinth and telling them of the grace of God in these people's lives. And he's holding the churches of Macedonia, of which Philippi is one of those churches. And he said, you guys need to understand the grace of God in these people's lives. And why was that important? Because here's a church who nobody else uh, participated in giving and receiving for the work of the ministry, but the church in Philippi. You say, oh, maybe they were rich people. Oh, no. These people were actually dirt poor. They were oppressed and persecuted for their, their faith in Christ. And the Bible says, Paul says to the church in Corinth, they gave beyond their ability, even when they were poor, because of the grace of God in them. You say, well, what are you making a point of that for? Well, these people were impoverished people who had needs, and yet they still participated in the doing through care and through giving. It was God's grace working through them that enabled them to give and to share in the burden of Paul effectively despite their own situation. And the application is this, what a challenge that is for us in America. Commitment and devotion to the church are lacking in many, many places around this country. What Paul describes of the church in Philippi is exactly what it ought to be in a New Testament church. And it's exactly the desire of, of any true pastor for his people. We need those with a burden for the church and for the unsaved. We need to live each day with a heart for the Lord and a heart for his church and a heart for the work of the gospel. And I'm simply saying we need our eyes opened again even more and ask the Lord, lay this kind of a burden on our hearts. Because imagine what the Lord will do and can do Paul was thankful for them. He was confident in the Lord to keep working. It was fitting for him to be confident. And all of that led to the desire that he expresses next in verse 8. Look at our text in verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. It was fitting that Paul would greatly desire to be with the church in Philippi because they were so dear to his heart. 
He thought of them often. He prayed for them continually. He longed for them with great compassion and affection. He wasn't just paying them lip service, but he longed for them and loved them as the Lord desired. And here's the application. We ought to share the same desire that Paul had. No doubt we all love the church. But do we love her as we should? You can think about it. You can ask yourself the question, are we burdened for the needs of this church? Are we committed to her well-being? Do we miss it when we're unable to come together and worship? Are we committed to praying for the church as we should? Are we committed to each other as we should? My prayer and desire for the church is that your desire and my desire would deepen and it would grow and it would strengthen and that will help to create and maintain the right kind of atmosphere and environment that the Lord desires in His body. Amen? We are blessed. We are privileged appreciate what the Lord's done for us and where he's put us. Amen. I'm thankful for all of you. And I love you in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd cause us to think and to pause and to meditate, to examine, Lord, to have the right kind of thinking. We can be skewed in our thinking sometimes. I certainly can as well. And we need that thinking to be corrected. I'm thankful that you do that in my life first. Because I'm not immune. And Lord, that you use the members of the church to do that. That's your plan and your desire that we are accountable one to another. We encourage and edify one another and sometimes we rebuke one another for the purpose of edification, for the good of the whole. And Lord, it's sweet when the end result is that we're more unified and the end result is that there's an atmosphere of friendship and love common bond in the fact that we are members of this body, a common bond in our salvation, a common bond in the reason for which God has placed us here. Lord, help us to see that and to love it, to appreciate that. It is a blessing from you. So Lord, accomplish your will and your purpose, whatever that may be, and Lord, I pray that you'd be pleased with the response of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just keep our heads bowed and eyes closed for a minute. Can I have our piano player come?